0: To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, i and your host. Today is Thursday, so it's time for the show with my good friend, co-host Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me?
3: Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. Great to have you on, as always. And folks, the topic for today's show is the real danger of the social engineering of the armed forces. So where would you like to start us off with this topic today, Peter?
3: Well, Andrew, we both saw these two contrasting contemporary American and Russian military recruitment videos recently, and it was actually quite shocking. You can't exactly compare them as much as contrast them because... um, This new United States Army recruitment video uh, called The Calling is practically indistinguishable from a Democratic Party campaign ad or a Disney animated cartoon. Uh, One of their videos in the series called The Calling, a Corporal Emma Malone Lord described her journey to the army. It's animated, believe it or not. Uh, And I've heard that in America they're starting, they have started decades back already in uh having uh, military manuals for things like how to handle a stinger missile put in cartoon format which is a bit disturbing to think that highly destructive uh, advanced weaponry is being taught to people who seem to have trouble reading a, a manual that just has a few diagrams and text and now they have to have cartoon animation but uh, here in this animated recruitment video and this isn't a joke this isn't the babylon Bee. uh this is an actual US Army recruitment video that's out now, this is their latest. It's animated, most of it's animated. It has a lesbian wedding, a gay pride parade, a sorority at the University of California. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms, Main Lord says over the video, and although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I marched for equality. I'd like to think I've been defending my freedom from an early age, and Suggesting that marching around in a rainbow t shirt is somehow comparable to defending a country from military threats in a wartime situation is patently insane. So, this new US Army ad resembles an LGBTQ propaganda piece, forcing nauseating woke ideas down viewers' throats. And this US Army recruitment video suggests that joining the military is some sort of social justice quest to find inner. Meaning and peace, and um, by way of contrast, there's a Russian military recruitment video which shows strong men leaving their loved ones to undergo intense, realistic training to become part of the country's military. It's such a far cry from the woke LGBTQ animated propaganda put out by Biden's transgender offence department that um, you know people need to see it to believe it. But uh, Andrew, you've got maybe you'd like to. Uh, run the American recruitment video so people can actually hear uh, the saccharine suite um, LGBT woke propaganda being used to try and recruit those kind of people into the US armed forces.
0: Absolutely, Peter. And folks, we're going to include the link to both of these videos so you can contrast them for yourself. We'd like to be able to play you the Russian one, but there's no subtitles on it. Uh, So we can't really understand what they're saying. But I will say this. you can tell what's going on by the visual uh, element in the Russian video. So I do urge everybody to go to the post for this show at andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com and watch both videos. The Russian is just about a minute and the um, American one that I'm going to play you now is uh, about two minutes. So well worth a watch just to see the difference between the military of these two uh, superpowers. So here we go, folks. This is the um, american video it's off youtube it says emma the calling go army and it's had one and a half million views went up on may the 4th and interestingly it says comments are turned off i wonder why here we go folks (laughs)
4: This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California, with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin. I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again, but she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet, eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class, and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an Army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone Lord, and I answered my calling.
0: Now folks, Peter sent this to me about a week ago and I was aware I had it, I had it lined up to play but I hadn't actually played it, I'd heard about it on other shows but I'm delighted I didn't play it until now so you can get my immediate reaction after seeing it for the first time and all I can say is folks, if you don't watch this uh, you're missing what's really going on It, it leaves you speechless, that's all I can say that's my comments I'm afraid, so Peter, I mean great that you found this great that we've got it in the post for the show because
3: I, it, it just boggles the mind peter it really does because first and foremost uh, people need to understand what the military is there for now i might say that um uh, i come from a military family my my father served all six years of the second world war as a bombardier in the royal artillery and Eighth army mostly in north africa and italy uh, I had a lot of relatives involved in the First World War. In fact, we lost a lot of relatives in the First World War, mostly around uh, Ypres and uh, Passchendaele. And uh, I've got family going back to the Battle of Waterloo who fought there. And my brother served in the Rhodesian Army, I served in the South African Army. And I've been a missionary to war zones for uh, 38 years, 39 years now. And uh, I've been involved in eight wars, three revolutions, and I've ministered in 38 countries. And uh, during this time, I've ministered to soldiers and guerrillas and terrorists on all sides of the different wars around Africa. And I have witnessed the persecution church by Marxist regimes. I've been involved in some intense areas where we've come under aerial and artillery and rocket bombardment. Uh, I have cradled the dead and the dying in the killing fields of Mozambique and Sudan and Angola, walked through devastated towns where there's not a living being just wrecked houses and decomposing corpses and revolutionary slogans. And as a missionary, I've ridden through ambushes, I've preached under mortar fire, I've witnessed at ambush sites, I've shown Christian forms to terrorists, I've been arrested and imprisoned, and I've been led, handcuffed and blindfolded through the streets of Livingston, Lusaka, when it was uh, under a socialist dictator. And uh, I've been escorted to prison in Maputo, Mozambique, in the Soviet MI, a helicopter come under fire on many occasions. I've been in solitary confinement. And I must say, uh, I've made quite a study of warfare, and I've been very interested in warfare. And uh, in many battles, the the uh, battle often hangs on very small, even minute uh, issues that can sometimes can sway a balance from defeat uh, to victory. And that's why training needs to be intense. Now, in the South African Army, we had nine months intensive training. I think that was the longest training of any country in the world. We had a two-year national service. Nine months was put into training. And then we were deployed to the border for the next 15 months, where we were facing off against Soviets, Cubans, and uh, uh, with intensive warfare, including conventional warfare in Angola towards the uh, end of the eighties. It was a very intense uh, battles, tanks, artillery, jet fighters, dogfights overhead. It's, a lot of these things happened. And uh, I remember at that time, uh, Sir Walter Walker, who was the head of NATO, came and visited us on the border and he made a speech, which was well reported on and uh, uh, throughout uh, the world at the time, saying the South African army, was the finest army in the world. He said, there's not another army in the world, not even the American or Russian, that can compare to the intensity of its training and its high level of, of, of uh, combat readiness. And we were also uh, such an army that in 1970s and 80s, almost all of our infantry and special forces groups saw personal combat, which uh, most uh, military around the world don't get the opportunity to actually have mortars and bombs and rockets exploding around them and be involved in actual uh, combat, even hand to hand against the enemy. But we did. Now, militaries are there to defend countries against military threats. And to think that you've got some uh, transgender uh, characters running uh, defense departments, such as in Biden's America. And we haven't even shown here a video that the CIA's just put out about which is basically attracting transgenders to the CIA, for goodness sakes. You know, the Central Intelligence Organization is literally putting out uh, LGBTQ uh, transgender uh, recruitment ads. Like, we need these people and to be able to manage the uh, kind of agencies that unfortunately have been involved in toppling governments and causing revolutions and. Uh, doing things that that actually get people killed in many cases. And to think that there are people who somehow think the military is a place you go to, to find yourself or to find meaning and inner peace or to uh, be involved in some kind of social justice quest uh, is so out of touch with reality, it boggles the brain. And uh, again, a military recruit and just look at, the U.S. military recruitment video that we've uh, just uh, played part of uh, is aimed at women, and in the this Central case, uh, lesbian women, whereas the um, the Russian recruitment video, by way of contrast, is aimed at young men. Now, there's, there's quite a debate uh, between uh, the benefits of uh, why you should have women in the military or not. And... Uh, uh, The the fact is just just basic uh, reality is completely divorced from Hollywood fantasies. I mean, Hollywood fantasies has got so many things where there's with CGI and so on, they can give the impression that, well, women can do anything men can do better. Uh, And they not only look beautiful uh, and are more intelligent than the men, but they're bigger and stronger and they can beat up Schwarzenegger and so on if you believe that. Terminator 1, where you can have some uh, delicate uh, slip of a thin woman with a thin waist and so on. She's able to beat up Arnold Schwarzenegger, for goodness sakes. You know, that kind of scenario. I remember the GI Jane where Demi Moore is a female soldier who can't manage in uh, the men in the physical demands of training and has to be frequently helped, uh, obstacle crossing and everything else. But some other when it comes to combat, she's just, you know, better than all the men. In this kind of film-crazy Hollywood fantasy world, a lot of people have been hypnotized uh, out of what's real into an artificial alternate reality, which is completely bizarre. Uh, women are not men, and we can be grateful for that. But, for example, uh, women are generally physically weaker than men, and this definitely affects your fighting abilities. Women are not designed by the creator to be killing machines. They're designed to give life to bear children, to raise children, and uh, women have been engineered by the creator uh, with uh, bodies that are designed for giving birth, and and that means that the angles of their legs leaves most women with a 10% lower running speed compared to men, uh, just by that anatomical difference alone. And uh, then uh, bear in mind that women who make up uh, two-thirds of the 400,000 people every year who undergo knee replacements in America, for example. So the average woman does not have the upper body strength to drag a casualty off a battlefield uh, while under fire, or any field, or to pick up an 80 pound backpack or throw a grenade beyond its blast range, because if it lands in, in shorter, then you're in danger, or fly an aircraft that's lost its hydraulics or lug around a high pressure fire hose on a naval ship. And there's so many things. I, I've been the fire brigade. Uh, I've been the military, and uh, there's a lot of things women cannot do physically, and it's it's no reflection on them. There's a lot of things women can do that men can't do, but women are more easily injured than men. Women who participate in sports like basketball and volleyball and soccer, uh, where the knees suffer repeat impacts, are eight times eight times more likely to suffer a knee ligament uh, injury than than men are, and the is there's a much higher instance of injury to women because they've got a weaker muscle structure, even after training in critical areas like the ankles. And in combat, this stress is aggravated by the heavy equipment we've got to carry, jumping, running, all the physical activities required in combat of soldiers. No army can afford to have soldiers who are injured at eight times the normal rate. And that's just speaking about training. Now, having gone around America many a time as a guest speaker, I've been seeing increasingly since since uh, 20, uh, 2001 uh, women who are amputees who've lost an arm or a leg, and uh, you see them in the airport terminals and the streets, uh, and these are plainly war injuries. And to see pictures of women being uh, uh, sent off to war, there's there's this woman, her camouflage kit with a helmet and a uh, M16, saying goodbye to her husband who's holding her baby on the. Um, side while she gets on the transport to head off to Afghanistan, or Iraq. It's just wrong. Uh, And I don't know what kind of people put women in combat. Well, historically, in the United States of America, it was the people who'd never been in the military, like Bill Clinton and uh, Barack Hussein Obama, who were throwing women into combat. Now, women, involved in ancillary assistance in the army have always been very helpful on many things, everything from translation, signals. There's so many support roles that are essential in the military where they could. But in the past, it's always been understood that women in the military are there to release more men for combat duty. But now, starting with Israel, already in 1940s, Israel started to recruit women into the State of Israel uh, IDF, uh, the Israel Defense Force. And to think that they conscript women and put them into combat positions. Now, the United States of America does it. And Canada's started to put women into combat positions too. This is insane because when you look at the tests, um, for example, out of one training session in the Canadian Army, uh, 100 female recruits uh, who are above average, much stronger and so on uh, than the average woman, And they went to standard infantry training. This wasn't a special unit. And uh, of them, only one passed the uh, one out of 100 actually passed the um, selection and training. And she was a young female construction worker who's definitely not genetically or hormonally uh, uh, normal compared to the others that were there. She she had all kinds of advantages. But uh, the female combat warriors, uh, then, even after being accepted, they had a 42% dropout rate, and that's for non-combat uh, roles. But it, it gets more serious than that. Women are valuable as life givers and as child bearers and as homemakers and family shapers, and as goes the home, so goes the nation. And to think of throwing women into combat, and the people who choose to put the women to combat are the ones who these males, I can't call them men, these males who didn't even do military training like the Clintons and Obamas of this world. It seems pretty sick to put women into greater uh, danger uh, while men take the safe positions. It's, it goes against the Birkenhead rule, women and children first. You think back in 1852 when we had the HMS Birkenhead sinking off the coast of South Africa, not far from uh, where we run our biblical worldview summit each year uh, at Hermanus. And, and off the uh, the coast, they hit a rock shaft, and although it was a metal paddle steamer considered unsinkable at the time, the 1850s, they didn't have enough lifeboats. And so the uh, instruction went out, women and children first. And uh, there was just enough lifeboats to put the women and children in. And uh, then the captain said, abandon ship. And at that point, the colonel in charge of the infantry on board shouted, stand fast. Do not attempt to leave the ship. Do not attempt to swim to the boats. You will unsettle, destabilize, and swamp the lifeboats. Do not endanger the women and children. Go down with the ship. And 600 odd men went down with the Birkenhead. Uh, singing, and uh, from of them, uh, many managed to swim to shore. Uh, as it so happens, four hundred and forty-four of the men drowned. Uh, something in the region of only about two hundred managed to swim to shore and survive. It was shark infested waters too. Uh, But not one woman, not one child was lost from the Birkenhead, whereas most of the men were 444. In fact, so uh, that was called the Birkenhead drill. And that's why when the Titanic uh, hit the iceberg and was going down, the order was actually Birkenhead drill. And Birkenhead drill was understood to be women children first story was so well known. And so it has been in Christian civilized society. Men are meant to be willing to die for women and to protect women and children, uh, the life givers in the future of society. Men are more expendable and less valuable than women in a sense of, of repopulating a society. So if war or catastrophe reduces the number of adults in a society, it's far better if the men are killed rather than the women in terms of the longevity of survival of that society. Because... Um, you need more women to keep up the, the life of, this, of the community, of the nation. And so when you look at it, it's actually suicidal and anti-survival to expose your female population to any dangers, especially mortal combat. But quite aside from that, you've, you've got the concern of uh, combat effectiveness. And in combat effectiveness, uh, in infantry, we had to be able to dig a trench fast, if you're coming under air, aerial or artillery attack, the ability to dig a trench that you can uh, get below ground and survive the bombardment and the flying shrapnel uh, makes a difference between life and death. And uh, women don't have the upper body strength to be able to uh, dig trenches fast with a little shovel that you've got on the back of your backpack. And uh, now another thing that we had to do in the military is uh, to be able to uh, run with one of your compatriots who assuming is injured. And therefore, you had to either sling them over your shoulder. Now, remember, you're carrying full kit and rifle and helmets, and you've got him with his rifle and kit too. And you pick them up over your shoulder and you run. And uh, we had to do both uh, uh, sheep carry, where you have them in your arms and you run, and uh, slung over your shoulder, which is a lot easier because the weights are on your shoulder and press through your whole body uh, and run. Now, no woman can put a man uh, over her shoulder with full kit rifles on wearing boots and all that and run. Uh, and we're talking about under fire in, in uh, a realistic scenario in, in combat. These are the sort of basic trainings. And so when they've had these different uh, training scenarios, it's been actually quite staggering when you, you look at uh, the difference in the abilities between the men and the women when it comes to actual combat and their abilities. So. For example, when it comes to things like push-ups, which is a basic training for upper body strength, uh, women on average, the best, healthiest, could average 17 push-ups, whereas the average man would be handling 47. Uh, uh, These are just some of of the sort of standards. So the degradation of standards immediately, there's many specialist units like rangers, marines, um, uh, special forces and so on, who expressly do not want women in uh, combat with them or in their units because well uh, one of the most basic facts of life is that men and women are distracted by one another in fact the biggest single distraction possible is uh, attraction between male and female female and male and you put them in a combat situation what do you think is going to happen and so on for example a United States uh, aircraft carrier they have got vast numbers of women pregnant at any time, and uh, you've got vast amounts who are on leave and absent from their unit because of different things like pregnancy. And uh, the the complications caused on a psychological difference is even more. So, for example, uh, when you're thinking of life and death, in war, it's not so much that, you know, second and third place is okay, you're fighting for victory. And when you think that the other side, well, as witnessed, for example, by the Russian um, military recruitment, they're going for the best, the toughest, the hardest, the strongest, and very demanding, uh, uh, very rigid kind of training program. In fact, it, it brought back a lot of memories to me and what it was like in the South Defense Force when we did our training, which was harsh. And I remember our Sergeant Major boasting that the South African Infantry, uh, we're talking about back in the 1970s and 80s, we lose more men in training than in combat. And I did not know if that was particularly encouraging, but he seemed very proud of the fact that our training was so realistic. People were breaking bones, breaking necks, breaking legs, breaking arms, breaking their backs on our obstacle courses and training at the speeds that we were doing it. we were having realistic live fire People died of exposure, people died of pneumonia, people died of heat exhaustion. There was no end of, uh, in in training, I started off with a unit of, uh, there were about 2,000 of us, and within about five weeks, we were down to 650, Uh, the rest had uh, failed in one way or the other, and that's just basic infantry. That wasn't a special forces unit like our reconnaissance commander or the paratroopers, who would be a lot more harsh than, than the infantry were. But the standards of the Korean infantry were, were I, I think, probably it looked similar to what they're doing with the Russians uh, with the training these days. That makes all the difference between life and death in the field. And so, the army is not about being a social justice warrior or finding yourself in some kind of LGBT quest uh, for meaning and inner peace and fulfillment. It's all about being able to survive in the most extreme situation against people who want to kill you. It's life and death. And as our Sergeant Major remind us time and again, everything is a difference between life and death for you or the others in your platoon and company, you have to be at your very best and you've got to look out for the person next to you. But again, in a combat situation, if you put women in the mix, it's going to change the whole dynamics completely because the men in the unit are going to naturally try and protect the women. And they've had the absolutely uh, chronic uh, trauma in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan of American military women being captured tortured and all the rest of it, mutilated and killed, uh, which happens to men too. But for it to happen to the women, it you can imagine the men in the unit are going to do everything they can to protect them. Now, in a good infantry unit, in a combat situation, uh, you have to work as a team, and you've got to also be willing to be expendable. And a team operates, for example, one of our uh, drills on obstacle crossing would be, uh, the first person, as you approach a roll of barbed wire, razor wire, to fling himself on it and the rest use him as a springboard, um, putting boot in the uh, smaller back and leaping over the barbed wire in the last to grab your webbing and pull you <laughs> upside down backwards uh, over so that you fall on, on the correct side of the razor wire and you carry on. And of course, you know, you get cut and <laughs> it, you don't worry about that, but seconds count. You don't have time for wire cutters and you've got to cross the obstacle at speed because... Seconds count, people are shooting at you and so on. And now in that kind of scenario, it works with the men. It doesn't work when you've got women in the unit and the women are often trying to prove something and the men are trying to protect them. And uh, the end result is it's it's chaos. But then another thing about military, especially the army, is that uh, long term in the field operations uh, suit men better than women because uh, women they have periods women have menstrual cycles a woman uh, not only have uh, greater danger of muscular skeletal injuries but for example um, um, the u.s marines did a test on integrated units uh, and uh, they found that 40 percent of the women participating more than 40 percent of the women participating suffered muscular skeletal injury uh, much much more than uh, mended Uh, Twenty-one of the women in the test lost time in the unit due to injuries. And if you're not on the field at the time of the battle, you know, you can lose your team smaller. Nineteen of them suffered injuries to their lower extremities, meaning uh, their ankles and and legs. Um, Sixteen of the women were injured uh, while carrying heavy loads in just a march. not talking about obstacle crossing, it just in marching. And so the heavy weights required by uh, infantry units these days and uh, uh, the Marines... Came to the conclusion that they could not have women in combat with the units despite the ministry of defense pushing it because women suffered more than double the amount of injuries and seriousness of injuries than amended because double risk of injuries amongst women combined with expected absences due to pregnancy and other gender related issues would be more than problematic even in small units we've got four to twelve members operating uh, such as in a tank crew or infantry rifle squads or artillery crews, and to think that you 've got a huge percentage of your female team members m- missing at any one time, it would compromise a mission so the u s marines came to the conclusion that having integrated units of female with with males uh, compromise missions and puts everyone 's life at greater risk and so Combat units have, in many cases, said they don't want women. You know, which woman is able to carry me and my 200 pounds of gear after you have been marching for a few days? And then you've got accusations of sexual assault, some true, some false, some double standards. There's the degradation of fighting abilities due to simple physiology. So here's a quote from the U.S. Marines report. Uh, There are things women can do better than men but prolonged ground combat isn't one of them. The world is changing, and we are meant to be about political correctness. But this is war we're talking about. Society has no place dictating the terms in a scenario. They personally are not going to take part in. Leave social justice and political correctness at home. It has no place on the battlefield. So that's the U.S. Marines describing the whole thing. And while we're talking about that, uh, can you believe how many... Ministers of Defence in the Western world are women. Now, again, not saying that, uh, and you know, I'm by no means anti-woman. I've been married to the same wife for over 30 years, and I've got uh, two lovely daughters. And um uh, I'm very into protecting our uh, our women, uh, mother, sister, uh, daughters, wife, and and uh, friends. And um, my sons have been raised from when they were small, with martial sports being taught, you have to protect your sister, your mother, and uh, in in time to come, your wife and daughters. And so men need to learn to be protectors and providers and uh, all the rest of it. But now putting a woman as minister of defense. So there's all kinds of countries who've done this, like Spain and uh, Switzerland and the United Kingdom uh, back in 2019 you had Penny Moderant and Australia Linda Reynolds uh, then Denmark Trine Bramson she's uh, uh, in Germany it's Annegret kamp Kump Karen Bauner now these might be very nice people but um, is it best to have a Minister of Defense as a woman bearing in mind Russia doesn't China doesn't why are we having women uh, Minister of Defense Austria Claudia Tanner uh, Kenya, Monica Juma, uh, Lebanon, uh, South Sudan has a woman um, a minister of defense at the moment, interestingly, Belgium, of course, uh, Peru, interestingly, Montenegro. There have been so many countries. Uh, Sweden has frequently had women ministers of defense. I think Finland was the first to do so. And there are many countries, uh, Latvia, uh, a Czech Republic, um, all of them have at different times had women as ministers of defense. And I'm wondering, is this wise? But here's another thing that's intriguing. We've got so many leaders in the uh, Western Europe sphere who don't have children uh, like Macron of France. And uh, of course, Penny May when uh, she, uh, I mean, Theresa May when she was your prime minister didn't either. And uh, of course, Angela Merkel. there's quite a number of of leaders in the West we don't seem to have a personal investment in the future in the form of children and grandchildren. But I'm deeply concerned about the feminization of the military, about the homosexualization of the military, about the social engineering of the military, because when it comes to war, many, many battles and wars have been won or lost on the base of very, very small factors. You you know the story about, you know, Uh, For want of a horse, the battle was lost, and the horse was lost for want of a shoe, which was lost for want of a nail. And sometimes it can come down to the smallest issue that makes a difference between victory or defeat. And so many battles hinge on the smallest things, which is why we cannot afford to weaken our defense in any sense, and to allow not just politics, but to allow social engineering of the gender-confused, woke LGBTQ crowd who seem to think that uh, animated cartoons uh, of lesbians and gay weddings and gay pride marches is uh, the way to recruit people to your military. Uh, Just look at the Russian military recruitment video and look at the American military recruitment video, and you don't need much imagination to work out who's going to attract and keep and train the stronger military force, because at the end of the day, wars are not won by technology, wars are won by people, and by character, and victory loves preparation. And uh, when I was training in South African infantry, we had big billboards around our parade ground, uh, which must have liked General Patton, because there were a few of his quotes. One was, don't die for your country, make the other poor dumb bastard die for his. That's a General Patton quote. And another one was, better to lose sweat in training than blood in battle. And uh, another was train hard, fight easy. And our sergeant major uh, was boasting over the fact that in the South African Army, we don't just use sweat in training. We lose blood in training as well. And we did. I mean, we got cut, bruised, uh, bleeding and uh, all that and scarred uh, in our training as well. But the fact is, because we trained so hard when it came to battle, we absolutely ran over the enemy. We flattened them. They were fleeing, uh, even when they outnumbered us 10 to 1. Because of the superior fighting skill, aggression, training, cohesion, teamwork of our forces, we were able to beat the best that the enemy threw at us. And uh, when Fidel Castro sent his presidential guard, his, uh, they were a mechanized uh, a division, and he sent them in to defeat the South Africans in Angola, we wiped them out to such an extent that Fidel Castro put his commander in chief of all forces in Angola on trial for treason and had him shot for losing the war to the, as he put it, the racist, fascist South African colonials. And you don't tend to execute the generals of victorious armies. Uh, The Cubans lost in Angola, and they lost despite generous Soviet support, vast amounts of Russian military advisors, the best weaponry. In many cases, they had had more advanced weaponry than we did, especially when it came to the air power. Their MiG-29s were vastly superior to our Mirages, and yet we didn't lose a single Mirage to them. They lost all their MiGs to us in dogfights because we had superior training, even if we didn't uh, have as good equipment and we certainly didn't have as many numbers as they had. They outnumbered us. But we won because we were well trained. And the South African Army would never have dreamed of putting women into combat. Uh, we, had, we had women's units, and uh, I've had uh, a number of them, uh, five people who used to be in South African uh, Army women's college graduates uh, in as frontline fellowship missionaries, and they have uh, been superb. But they were involved in signals. They were involved in, in support work. We'd never have dreamed of putting them into combat. They were trained in combat skills, just in case, uh, but you don't willingly, knowingly uh, recruit women and put them into combat situations. And I think anyone who's seen women and mothers even who've lost limbs uh, and are amputees as a result of landmines and explosive ordinances and combat in Iraq or Afghanistan uh, can doubt the fact that it is not right. And I also find it extraordinary that so many conservative Christians in the United States of America who who oppose women in combat in the United States of America support the state of Israel uh, unquestioningly, even though they are the ones who pioneered uh, the conscription of women and uh, even putting them into combat situations. So that uh, the state of Israel is, as far as I know, the only country in the world that has conscription for women and puts their daughters into uh, the military on conscription. And I think... Most of us would oppose conscription of women into our military, and I certainly would. Uh, My daughter's too valuable and has got many other skills. There's no way that I would think that putting my beloved daughter into a combat situation is acceptable. Now, I would support my son's being conscripted if we were under that situation, if we had the army we had before, fighting the kind of war we did. I was certainly willing to go into combat. I'm not willing to put my daughter's, Uh, or to see uh, who became my future wife, uh, to end up in a combat situation. I think any man who thinks about this would realize it's wrong. So what do we say then about a military hierarchy that is sending out videos like this LGBT propaganda piece, uh, Disney animated cartoon format of The Calling, uh, appealing to uh, lesbians and transgenders to come and find inner peace and, and meaning uh, as a social justice warrior in the U.S. Army. And uh, what do we say about this uh, absolute epidemic of Western nations choosing to put women as Minister of defense? Women are so much better than men in compassion and love and s- empathy and so many other. And of course, they're the only ones who can give birth and life and raise children and make a home the way it should be. But Honestly when it comes to fighting women are not made not physically or uh, psychologically uh, in for combat and so that has normally been historically for millennia it's been a male preserve men are the people who have to go out and fight and defend and uh, and protect women and that we've got a society that's so inverted that now uh, right is wrong and wrong is right and, and You have draft dodgers like Clinton uh, who can send women into combat and you've got uh, people who never served in the military like Obama who put women into combat and uh, you've got countries like the state of Israel who conscript women into the military and you've got a whole lot of people who turn the other side and put um, put their blind eye to it and just don't see anything. So I think we're in deep trouble. And I would encourage all of our listeners to look at these videos and uh, have a bath bag on hand because you might uh, get sick <laughs> watching that. I had that reaction from some friends in America who are in the military, sent it to one colonel in the U.S. Air Force and asked what he thought. And, and he said, you know, it made me sick just to watch that. He could not believe what's going on. And there's a lot of people out there who are looking at what's going on with the social engineering of the military and saying, oh, I served in the army, my father served in the army, my grandfather served in the army, I would not recommend my sons to go into what's going on now in the US military. And uh, and this is tragic and this is uh, sad. And uh, you look at at the army and I, I think that the military is meant to be one of the greatest safeguards of the freedom and the integrity of any nation. And to undermine the armed forces, it should be a treasonable offense. And one wonders if the people doing it are just stupid or if they've got an evil agenda where they want to actually undermine and destroy the effective fighting abilities of our defense forces back to you andrew
0: thank you peter and um what i'm going to do we've got a few minutes left peter referred to a couple of cia videos now there's one that i want to get About uh, with Joe Biden now, uh, I'm having to sort of take a a punt on this. Hopefully, get the right one. I just want what he says. I don't want some presentation by another um, host. So let's uh, (laughs) keep our fingers crossed on this one. This is a YouTube. See if it is going to be the right one. I uh, know I can see it isn't already because it's nine minutes. So we'll uh, we'll get rid of that one and let me just go to the videos section. Oh, here we are. I've got it. This is quite good. I should have done this first because it gives you a little box, and it says 0.36 seconds. So, uh, Peter, I think I'll leave your microphone on for this. Uh, here we go. This is Joe Biden. Um, just queuing it up now on the YouTube. March the 9th,
2: 2021. Some of it's relatively uh, straightforward work, where we're making good progress designing body armor that
3: fits women properly, tailoring combat uniforms, for women, creating maternity flight suits, and updating, uh, updating requirements for their st- hairstyles, and some of it is going to take, an, uh you know, an, an intensity of purpose and mission to really change the culture and habits that cause women
1: to leave the military. Some of some of its.
0: There you go. Uh, Military uh, maternity flight suits, uh, Peter. That's uh, (laughs) quite novel and interesting, isn't it?
3: Well, I I don't think it's something the Russian armed forces are worrying about. And uh, it's quite bizarre. You know, when Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa in 1994, one of the first announcements we got was that women were now able to work in the mines. Now, if you know what's involved in mining, uh, gold, for example, in South Africa, they go kilometers into the earth, way down there. And uh, what woman wants to work in the mines, deep down in the bellies of the earth? And of course, you must know how much uh, abuse and sexual assaults and so on has gone on uh, down there. And uh, But that was one of Mandela's first priorities. You wonder what is going on in the minds of people like Biden and the Mandelas of this world and the Obamas and Clintons of this world that they see one of their first jobs be to put women in in jobs that have traditionally been men Mail and for good reason. Does Biden think for a moment what actually the military is there for? Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And uh, the other uh, videos that Peter mentioned that I really would like to play is the CIA ones because it's uh, such an important show. This. So I've got an article that you'd heard a bit of earlier because it was Fox News while Peter was speaking. A little window popped up and started playing. I hate it when that happens. Fortunately, I shut it off. But um, there's a tweet here. It says, When's the CIA? Hashtag Wednesday Wisdom. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are, whether you work at CIA or anywhere else in the world. Command your space, Media, you are worth it. So there's a YouTube link on this. Let me click that and see if it takes us to this um, promotional video for the CIA that uh, Peter was um, referring to. Uh, I see. Yeah, I think this top one... um Discover the CIA. Yeah, I think it's probably this one. But the other one that I wanted to play here, Humans of CIA, there's a series. So let's keep our fingers crossed, folks. Let's see if this is all one. It right only up.
2: takes one new piece of foreign intelligence, and everything can change in an instant.
3: Hey, I think I found something.
2: Most people will never see your work. Only three people in the world have access to the information we need. Notify the field. Your greatest strength will be the people around you. You're going to be able to see the whole thing.
4: Yep, going to be in the roof right here. Let's see in the house.
2: And your greatest reward is knowing your efforts will help keep every American safe. Your achievements, while unknown to the public, are critical to our national security. This translation is technically accurate, but in this context, it really means this. The nation, we got it, is counting on you to discover the truth.
1: I'll call the White House.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. To the CIA.
1: You can play a role protecting our nation. Start a career at the CIA and do more for your country than you ever dreamed possible.
0: So, um, it only takes I, hold on, I'm just trying to go back to that, which I can't. Let me try this one
2: instead. This is Humans of CIA. History.
0: This is the one that's mentioned in the Fox article.
2: I wanted to be a librarian the first time I set foot in a library. I was always a little different, even at that age, and libraries offered a safe, quiet space where I could find tens of thousands of escapes into worlds of fantasy, mystery, and intrigue. After finishing college, I entered the workforce as a middle school librarian, where I was able to bring that dream full circle and match my students with the perfect books. Now I get to experience that same type of fulfillment in a very different way here at CIA. I love my job because I have no idea what type of research question is coming through the door next. It might be as simple as an HR officer needing to clarify a law or as complex as an analyst needing to help identify something they saw in a video still. There's something incredibly rewarding about knowing you are having a very real impact of potentially global proportions. As an agency librarian, I work to ensure that our collection and services are matched up with what CIA needs. Not only am I involved in the acquisitions of journals, books, and countless electronic resources. I'm also encouraged to curate special collections that challenge expectation. Recently, I brought in our intelligence gaming collection to give officers unique opportunities to practice skills they need in their various roles. Instead of sitting for hours in front of a computer-based training, they can play a carefully selected game to train a specific set of skills while simultaneously building on the myriad soft skills essential to intelligence work. My favorite thing about CIA is that they encourage the -the out-of-the-box ideas that drive real progress. Growing up gay in a small southern town, I was lucky to have a wonderful and accepting family. I always struggled with the idea that I might not be able to discuss my personal life at work. Imagine my surprise when I was taking my oath at CIA and I noticed a rainbow on then-director Brennan's lanyard, which I later learned was designed by Engel, one of the many employee resource groups here at the agency. I remember being stunned. Since then, however, I've learned that far beyond the resource groups, inclusion is a core value here. Officers from the top down work hard to ensure that every single person, whatever their gender, gender identity, race, disability, or sexual orientation can bring their entire self to work every day.
0: Okay, so that was the the first one, the first one, uh, It's basically it's all uh, multicultural, you know, Asian looking women, black women, the lead character in it, who's uh, the focus of that one minute first video I played is a black woman. So they're promoting that side there. That was June of 2020. And then this one that I just played you, which is a series, I think it's part three, Humans of CIA. Um, This is April the 8th of this year. And of course, again, it's promoting the LGBT uh, inclusiveness within the CIA. So you've heard it from the US military. You're now hearing it from the CIA as well. Uh, Peter, any comments? before we go?
3: Yes, uh, I didn't know of those ones. uh, Nauseating as well. um, And, of course, missing the whole point of what defense is there for. But uh, I've also seen a CIA one where it's uh, speaking about transgenderism and, you know, being a transgender in the CIA. And you just think, uh, is this the kind of person you want here? And, again, just look at the Russian ad where they're after young, healthy, strong Uh, young men who are going to be willing to go through intense training, who are going to be sacrificial team um, players, who are going to work for the good of their country, that in a crisis they can protect their people and and fight the enemy. And, uh, you know, that's what war is all about. War is about training a military so effective that at the moment needed, they can be unleashed. And a lot of people may not want to be in the military. A lot of people may not uh, have the frame of mind for it and may not have that calling but you know when a when a military threat's there or when there's a hostage situation and uh you want a rescue done you don't want some social engineered transgender with a great self-image uh, being the person in charge of, of doing this you want wanting people who train to war and train to kill and train to be the best they can be and to be effective and to be ruthless if necessary uh, but uh you you're wanting excellent soldiers and if people want to play these sort of games and uh, cartoons and so on you know why don't they go into entertainment industry uh, this the military is about actually fighting defending and in extreme cases killing and to be fair those who take up the sword will perish by the sword so going into the military you have to be willing to die and so i think this often has to be put to people uh, which i've had to put to many of our missionaries as we are mission to war zones i've had to say to many people before we fly into the noob mountains or some other dangerous war zone restricted access area saying are you willing to lose everything you've got with you including your own life don't take anything into the field that you're not willing to lose and that includes your life and so if you're not willing to die on this mission don't even start and sometimes people have to say that to us and when it comes to military you have to be willing to die. That's what war often requires. And in the military, you have to be, to achieve your objective, you often have to be willing to be expendable. And uh, that's what often happens in warfare. So to advertise using Disney cartoon ads uh, type imagery, animation, uh, to appeal to young girls uh, who've done ballet and so on that, you know, come into the military and you're going to, you know, find inner peace and uh, you're going to become uh, the kind of person you want to be. This is not the right occupation for that. What you need to be doing is appealing, like in a Russian ad, to men who are willing to train hard, fight hard, and if necessary, sacrifice their life in a war situation to protect their country. Now, uh, you put it that bluntly, you're going to thin out the people willing to be applicants, but you might attract the kind of people that make a good military. And a good military is made up of tough, strong people. You can't have uh, LGBTQ, transgender confused characters in there uh, looking for their personal quest for peace and inner fulfillment. So, uh, yes, Andrew, I think it's so important we alert people to this because have people forgotten what war is about and what the military is about and what the armed forces are meant to be doing? Because having the Bidens of this world interfering in uh, trying to cram and push and uh, thrust a wokeness down the throat of the military, it's going to hurt the entire country in the end. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And I think I've uh, just found the one that uh, you referred to. Uh, I put in CIA transgender into YouTube. It comes up. Woke CIA recruitment video three weeks ago. The wokeness of the CIA exposed in a video featuring a 36-year-old Latina CIA agent who describes herself as intersectional, dot, dot, dot. So let's uh, click on that one and play that before we go. And I hope I've got the right one for you folks. May the 4th of this year.
1: When I was 17, I quoted Zora Neale Hurston's How It Feels To Be Colored Me in my college application essay. The line that spoke to me stated simply, I am not tragically colored. There is no sorrow dammed up in my soul nor lurking behind my eyes. I do not mind at all. At 17, I had no idea what life would bring, but Zora's sentiment articulated so beautifully how I felt as a daughter of immigrants then and now. Nothing about me was or is tragic, I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. I am a walking declaration a woman whose inflection does not rise at the end of her sentences, suggesting that a question has been asked. I did not sneak into CIA. My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. I earned my way in, and I earned my way up the ranks of this organization. I am educated, qualified, and competent, and sometimes I struggle. I struggle feeling like I could do more, be more to my two sons, and I struggle leaving the office when I feel there's so much more to do. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me, full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. Know your worth, command your space. Mija, you're worth it.
0: I mean, for me, that sounds incredibly arrogant. (laughs) Peter, over to you.
3: Absolutely shocking. That kind of arrogance should not be in public service and to want to intoxicate people with my brilliance. I mean, what kind of terminology is that? So, yes, uh, if, if I've got to see that kind of advert... Um, I would not want to join that organisation. Um, I must say, of, of all the different ads that we've referred to today, about the only one that would inspire me would uh, be uh, join the Russian army. But uh, not that I'm Russian. <laughs> but their advert is appealing to young men who want to be strong and want to fight, and that's what the military is all about. And all this other transgender intersexualization, and all the rest of it. You know, honestly, and it's not just a distraction. These are threats eroding the very foundation of our armed forces, which are meant to be the shield and defence of our nations. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And that uh, brings us to the end of our show. Um, uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a little section under where you um, click to listen to or download the show, Uh, supplementary materials for today's show, just above Peter's website, so I hope you check out. Uh, And I'll put these five videos, that one-minute one that I played incorrectly, uh, I don't think that was that one's worth putting in, but I'll put the other five in. So, you know, if you want to download them, use the clipgrab.org that I do or anything else. It's worth getting these while they're there because I think some of them are official, so they're likely to stay up. But uh, you know what it's like in the uh, internet world these days. If you want something, you really have to download it. And I hope that you do download and keep these shows that Peter and I do together. Peter hosts pretty much all of them. Uh, so there's a link there in the post for our show. But before we go, Peter, can you please let people know how they can, where they can find your work, and how they can contact you?
3: Thank you. Actually, I've written a book on the Christian at War, which is also in uh, Spanish, German, and French uh, 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 and Afrikaans. And um, my website is www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa.org. And uh, my email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za. I've also written on security and survival, uh, the security and survival handbook, which uh, we're living in a dangerous world. We've got to know how to defend ourselves, and it seems we won't be able to depend upon our armed forces or our police forces the way they're being uh, subverted by social engineering these days. So the more we know about how to defend ourselves and get into strong uh, neighborhood watches and communities, the better. Thank you so much, Andrew. God bless you and all our listeners.
0: Thank you, Peter, and folks. That Security and Survival Handbook, Peter and I did a show on. I read it; it was extremely informative, well worth having. And again, if you go to the link in the post of this show, for our shows together, you should be able to find the show on it there. I believe it was in the title for the show, but certainly avail yourself of that book. So I want to thank Peter so much for joining me again today on such an important topic, uh, which was the real danger of the social engineering of the armed forces. God bless all of you listening. I want to thank you for listening. Peter and I will be back with you the same time next week. I'll be back with you all and Until then folks, have a wonderful day and bye for now.